Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 17 for our series, Letters from Prison on the book of Philippians. Today, we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. I count it all as loss. Looking into some scriptures about our identity in Christ versus the things that we can tend to look to for our identity. Don't forget, we've also got a marriage course coming up in a few weeks. We've got a night of prayer and worship coming up uh, this coming Tuesday. All kinds of good things. So check them out. Stay updated with us on NorthShoreVineyard.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to go ahead and head over to the talk right now. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Yeah, I'm running out of room in here to, to talk on Sunday morning, so it's uh, this is the I need to put a spit guard up here for those who are brave enough to sit on the front row. Well, if you're new here, we've been going through a, <laughs> I need to change out my notes here because I've got my notes from the last three weeks all mixed together. So this is, is going to be an interesting message today. I can, I can feel it. Um, uh, we've been in the book of Philippians and we are all the way up to part 17, uh, chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses seven through 11. I'm going to actually start today, though, a, a couple of verses that we covered last week, um, <clears throat> so they won't be up on the screen. But the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church, says, if somebody else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of our faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow, at the rate we're going, we just covered a, a massive chunk of, of Philippians today. Uh, <laughs> we've been covering like one or two verses at a time for months, but um, if, if you haven't if you weren't here last week, I, I, I would highly recommend going back and listening to last weekend's message because it really does tie into today. But what we covered last week was that Paul, Paul was basically looking at a, a, a major threat to the church. And I believe it wasn't just a threat back then, it's a threat now. It's legalism. And this idea of trying to get uh, our, you know, having Jesus plus... And that, there was people that were, you know, Paul planted churches all over the Mediterranean world, but there were these people that would come in, they were often called Judaizers, who would come in and say, hey, 
great. We heard you, you guys have Jesus and you're following Jesus. That's great. But if you really want God to like you, you'll try following circumcision and, and tithing and the Old Testament law. And they, they threw all these things in. So Paul was seeing new believers who, who came to experience the freedom in Christ. All of a sudden, they're stepping backwards because now they're trying to impress God based on the righteousness according to the law. And so Paul... Paul says, man, if you want to play that game, let me pull out my resume. Let me show you how good I was at following the law. So the language that Paul moves into today is kind of like the language of accounting. We got any accountants in here today? Got one? Anybody else? Okay. Anybody good with math? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Math was about the only thing that almost kept me from graduating college. It was one of the few few instances in my life where procrastinating actually paid off because I put off math for long enough in college that they finally came out with a math for liberal arts majors. <laughs> and it was like kind of like philosophy of math. And, uh, <laughs> and I took it and I, I was able to graduate. I, I wouldn't have a degree otherwise. But um, Paul uses the language of accounting here. And so it's kind of like a profit and loss statement for a business. If you own your own business, you know, sometimes you got to pull out, you know, what was the income, what were all the assets versus what was going out. And so Paul, using his resume, this is, this is what he puts in the profit and loss statement. In one column, he puts, he was a Jew. Not just a Jew because he converted to it. Man, he was born into it. He was a Jew from the inside. He was eth- ethnically pure a Jew, you know. He, he followed the law not because he just thought it was a good idea, but because he was born into it. But not only that, he goes on to say that he was a, a Pharisee. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a very well-respected Pharisee. If you look in the book of Acts, when, they, when, when Stephen was martyred, what did they do with Stephen's clothes? They, they brought him to Paul and laid him at his feet like, this is a trophy, Paul. And Paul's like, yes, we killed one. And uh, he, he was... He was very zealous as, as a Pharisee, but not only that, it says he was a zealous persecutor of the church. A lot of Pharisees, the ones that we see in the, in the Gospels that Jesus was always arguing with, they like getting together and talk about the Bible and all that stuff, but most of them weren't like the type of people to go out there and hunt people down and fight uh, people that didn't agree with him. Paul was so serious about Judaism that he actually hunted down people. I mean, it was like hate crimes. You know, like if you didn't believe the way he did, he would hunt you down and maybe see you get killed. And finally, he closes it out. If you're, if you're judging me based on a righteousness according to the law, he's like, man, I was false, faultless. I followed all the law. I preached it. I lived that whole thing. But when Paul puts Jesus in this column, when he weighs it out, he says, I consider all of these things that were once assets to me, once things that I had my identity in. He's like, I realize they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Actually, Paul uses a word called Scubalon. Everybody say that. Scubalon. Scubalon is waste thrown out to the dogs like filthy scraps of garbage. Table scraps, dung, muck, sweepings, figuratively refuse. What is good for nothing except to be discarded. We were reading the NIV today, translation, and the NIV is a little mild when it translates Scubalon because it just says garbage. And we think garbage, it, it can mean a lot of things. But last week I, I said that Paul... Paul was actually using the analogy. He said, beware of the dogs. And that term, you know, is a very derogatory thing. It wasn't like uh, Randy Jackson saying, what's up, dog? It was a derogatory thing. It was an insult. And it's what 
Jews would often call those outside of the faith, or the Pharisees. When they would see somebody who wasn't following the Old Testament law, they'd call him a dog. And so Paul says, no. He's like, the, the very ones who come into your midst and tell you you need to do all these things to make God like you, he says, they're the real dogs. And what they're trying to get you to do, the, the circumcision, it's just mutilating your flesh. It doesn't get you any points with God. Paul takes this a little bit further. He says, when I look at my whole life before God, it's skubalon. Skubalon, the root word in Greek, it's, it's actually a compound word that combines to throw and dogs. It's not like dog throwing. It's, it's stuff you throw to the dogs, your table scraps, the refuse. And so the picture that Paul is using here, he's, like, he's saying, man, my whole life up until Jesus, it's, it's like the stuff that the dogs dig through out in the street. King James actually translates it as dung. It's just a bunch of crap compared to knowing Jesus. What Paul is getting at is identity. See, we can have our identity either in Christ or in a, you know, a myriad of other things out there. And Paul, for all his religious, for all the things he was doing that were under the heading spirituality and religion and God, he didn't know God in the midst of it. And he says, man, just knowing Jesus, it blows it all away. I, 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 my past is just stinking filth compared to simply knowing Jesus. What Paul is getting at here is, is something that the Bible often refers to as, as idolatry. See, anything that we try to find our identity in apart from Christ Jesus will become an idol. We were made to be in relationship with God. We were made for that. We were made to, to live a life of worship of, of God. But we can very easily fall into idolatry, even with the good things in life, particularly with the good things in life. I love what Psalm 115 says. The psalmist is writing about idolatry. He says, Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They cannot talk, though they have mouths, or see, though they have eyes. They cannot hear with their ears, or smell with their noses, or feel with their hands, or walk with their feet, or utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. What is the psalmist getting at here? Well, he's getting at this, this idea that whatever we worship, it, it, it affects us. Now, if you worship Jesus, you get life, you get peace, you, God starts putting you back together. But when we worship idols, the psalmist is saying you become like an idol. Now, back in that day, it was, it was idolism, idol worship in the, in the kind of classical sense, like people actually made an idol. And the idol had eyes, ears, mouth, nose, head, shoulders, knees. And toes. And they would actually worship it. It represented a deity. Some kind of God out there. And they would worship this. But, but the psalmist is saying, when you worship an idol, you lose your sensitivity as a human being. You may have eyes. You may have ears. You may have uh, these organs to sense with. But you lose your sensitivity. I think one of the best ways we can picture this is uh, Addiction. Have you ever known any friends or family members who have got caught in alcoholism or drug addiction? Anybody know that? Yeah. That's a sad thing, isn't it? And some of you have probably been there, no doubt. But a drug addict, they, I've seen people get into drug addiction before, I mean, even myself, and, and, and they, they go down a path where all of a sudden 
They go from being a normal, healthy human being to all of a sudden they start lying about things. They start covering things up. They may steal money from you when you're not looking. They may, if they follow this drug addiction thing far enough, they may end up out on the streets. They may end up selling their bodies, doing things that no human being in their right mind would ever do. And you're like, are you crazy? No, (laughs) they're not crazy. They're in the grips of idolatry. The drug has, has become the idol for them. It has become something that has become their identity, their purpose, their, their fulfillment in life. And it has corrupted them. Has anybody ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? C.S. Lewis? Maybe you saw the movie. There's a scene in it where there's this kid named Edmund. He's probably... Anybody know how old Edmund was in the book? 11, 12, okay. 13, could I have a 14? <laughs> So Edmund's this, this young kid, and he get, ends up going into this wonderful world of Narnia, but he meets the White Witch. And, uh, yeah, dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> he meets the White Witch, and, and he's cold, and he's hungry, and she welcomes, oh, Edmund, come, come, get in my sled, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you something to eat. So she gives him this stuff called Turkish Delight, which is uh, some kind of sweet stuff, candy kind of stuff, and... Uh, but Edmund doesn't realize this stuff is, it's wicked. It's wicked Turkish delight. And he tastes of it. And once he has the first taste, he's absolutely wrecked. He's got to have more of it. And she doesn't let him have any more. And she's like, oh, well, if you come back and bring your brothers and sisters, I'll give you some more. But he becomes obsessed with this stuff. And so he gets to the point where he betrays his own brothers and sisters because he wants this stuff because it's become the center. Or if you, if you like Lord of the Rings, I haven't used the Lord of the Rings analogy in months, so I'm due one, right? Uh, Lord of the Rings, there's this creature named Smeagol. We use this in Alpha. But Smeagol is this normal hobbit in the beginning, but he comes across this evil ring. And he ends up, it ends up taking over his life. He kills his, his best friend, and it begins driving him away from other people. It drives him away from, he becomes a shadow of the person he was meant to be. Well, that's what happens when we follow idols, right? Now, most of you are like, well, I don't know anybody in my life that looks like Gollum or, you know, I mean, it's okay, yeah. Drug addiction is kind of a, 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 an extreme example of this. The truth is, for most of us these days, uh, it's, it's, we, I, I don't know too many people that struggle with serving an actual statue idol, but we have good old American idols, don't we? It's, it may be your idol can be your job, where your job becomes your identity. I know guys, man, we, we struggle with this. Anybody, right? You know, okay, I'm going to be the honest one in here. Uh, <laughs> as a man, you, 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 it's very easy. I mean, I guess women can too. I'm just speaking for men. But it's easy to get your identity in what you do. You know, one of the best things one of my friends told me years ago, I was struggling with some things. <laughs> job related and he just tells me he's like dude you are not your job what he's like you're not your job don't worry you're getting your identity tied up in what you do step away from it it's okay god's still got you <laughs> but you can find that something good like even your your employment you you go to work to provide for your family and and that's a good thing but if Jesus not at the, is not at the center, we can look to that job as our source of security, as our identity, our, our source of purpose. And then we go down the path of idolatry, and then we find that, that we become desensitized. You, we've heard the, you probably heard the word codependency before. That's kind of a, 
you know, a word that's been tossed around a lot in the last 20 years. Codependency is just people addiction. You're addicted to people. You're looking for another person to answer something on the inside for you. Maybe your thing is money. Maybe you think, man, if I just got enough money, I'd be happy. Well, just like an addict, you're never going to get enough money or people or position or power to actually answer that thing on the inside. The only person that can answer that thing on the inside is Jesus Christ. And it's only, you know, a lot of people tend to think that if I'm going to be serious about Jesus, I need to kind of abandon the real world. I've got people, this is, this is crazy. People have come up to me for years because I've worked in church for years and they tell me, man, if I could just work at a church, then I could really experience God in my life. I'm like, dude, you have no idea. <laughs> You're going to experience all kinds of evil. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, nobody's worked at a church here. Okay, good. Uh, no, uh, but there's this idea that, man, if I could just quit my regular day job and, and, and just quit being a mom or this or that, if I had more time to devote to God, then, then I could really be serious about God. But that's, that's not really the case. Actually, I, there's a vineyard pastor named Don Williams who he's written a lot of books. And, and he, he actually realized at one point, he was kind of working with a lot of folks coming out of the hippie culture, the Jesus movement back in the 70s. But he realized working with drug addicts and alcoholics, he realized that he was an addict. Except he wasn't addicted to alcohol or drugs. He realized he was addicted to being in ministry. <laughs> Ministry had become his idol, doing good things for God. It became his identity, and he, he liked it. And so he quit. <laughs> he actually stepped away. He's in a recovery group <laughs> for people who are in recovery of you know, ministry addiction. I don't know what, you, what the technical term would be. But the truth is, even Paul, he did all kinds of good things for God, but that it was his identity apart from God. And what Paul is trying to get us to say, see is that the only way that we have any hope is in Jesus. See, when you get Jesus at the center of it all, it doesn't make everything else in your life less meaningful. In fact, what you find is Jesus infuses every area of your life with meaning. So you don't need to quit that job or quit being a mom or quit doing this or that. That's not distractions. When Jesus is at the center, all of a sudden his life flows into all these things. All of a sudden they matter more because they're in the proper perspective. Paul's writings here today kind of remind me of the parable of the prodigal son. You can find this in Luke 15. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because it's an awful lot, but uh, this is the prodigal son. And this is one of my favorite uh, parables that Jesus told. We, you could spend weeks just unpacking the different truths that, that are resident in this story. Jesus tells him in verse 11 of, of Luke 15, he said, There once was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let me ask you, any fathers, would that be a little insulting? <laughs> I, back in this culture at that time, if you asked your father for your inheritance like long before they were dead, it was kind of like, that'd be like, I wish you were dead. I know my own father. If I said, hey, dad, look, you know, if you're going to give me anything, can I have it now? Uh, but the father hears his reply and probably knows he's going to spend it on something stupid, but the father says, okay. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, understand, Jesus is speaking to people in a Jewish culture. There's probably nothing more insulting than working at a pig farm. You know, pigs were an unclean animal. And not only does he get so desperate that he goes to work at a pig farm, but he's actually starting to be jealous of the pigs. They're eating better than he is. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. And I love this part. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a barbecue and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to, be, to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? What's up with all the barbecue and the music and the band? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we have him brisket and ribs tonight. <laughs> because he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you've never and have never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even so much as a young goat, just a young goat for a party. Gaburito. So I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home and you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. In this story, we see two different ways to be estranged from God. The younger brother is kind of the obvious way, right? And you, there, there's probably plenty of people in here who've done that path. It's the path of self-discovery. God, you know, just give me, give me my share of the inheritance. I'm going to go out there and figure out things. I've got to break all the rules and figure out anybody like that in, in your life. You know, yeah, the kinds that, like, explanations don't do enough for you. You've got to just kind of figure it out from the school of hard knocks. And that's, that's the path of the younger brother. It's the path of self-discovery, but it's a way to be estranged from God. But at least, at least the younger brother, when he gets desperate, he, he comes back to his father. And I love, I love what happens when he's far away. His father sees him down the road. Have you ever, you ever done something bad when you were a kid and and you, got it. you spend a lot of time thinking, of, how am I going to tell dad? How am I going to tell mom why this thing is broken or why this kid has blood on his forehead? <laughs> you know, and you start rehearsing all your lines to, 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 to kind of apologize for what you've done. And I can, I can imagine this, this prodigal son. I can imagine his walk back to his father's house. He was going over and over in his head. Okay, when I see him, I'm going to say this. I've I'm, I'm sinned against heaven and against you. And, 
And when he gets out there, he starts rehearsing. He starts giving the speech that he's rehearsed in his head. But you notice the, the father doesn't listen to him. <laughs> he just calls out to his servants, go get a robe. Put a robe on him. He smells like pig. Let's cover him up. No. <laughs> get a ring. A ring like today. It was a symbol of, of authority. It was, it was a welcome. You know, it, was, it wasn't. He wasn't waiting to hear an explanation for everything that had gone wrong and all the, all the bad he'd done. He just simply said, Let's put a ring on him. Put sandals on his feet. Let's have a barbecue. Get a band. But, but I'm not done with my explanation. I don't care. He was, he was swallowed up in the love of the Father. That's one way to be estranged from God. It's the path of self-discovery, hedonism, debauchery. The other way... And this is a little bit more sneaky, is the way to be estranged from God of the elder brother, the path of moralism. See, we, we can all recognize that, yeah, if you go sleep with prostitutes and do all these kinds of things, that's not good. No, don't, you know, the best way to follow God isn't to go, you know, shoot up heroin and hang out with prostitutes. We, we get that, right? Right? Okay, just, okay, <laughs> okay newsflash, okay, if you were wondering, <laughs> okay, glad we settled that. <laughs> we, we can see that, that's pretty obvious, but the older brother, the interesting thing is, when the party's going on, actually, this, this parable could be called the parable of the older brother, because it's really about, more about the older brother's reaction than it is about the younger brother, because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the people who would have been the older brother of that time, and they saw that Jesus was going and hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen and all kinds of sinful people. And Jesus was eating with them, like having them over for dinner and partying with them. And they're looking down their nose. Well, the elder brother, he says, Father, I I, I don't want to go into this party. I, I can't go in there. I've obeyed the rules all these years. I have done nothing wrong. Everything you wanted me to do, I've always done it. And what's the father say to him? He says, son, everything I have is yours. Everything that I have, you can have it. You want a baby goat? You could have a baby goat anytime you want. You could throw a party. What do we see here? We see the way of the older brother is being estranged from God by his own moralism, by his own good works. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in? I I, I spent plenty of years as a Christian obeying all the rules, you know, and and being resentful. Being kind of ugly because I was following the rules better than other people. Why can't they follow the rules like I'm following the rules? Why can't they, they take this as seriously as I'm taking it? There are two ways to be estranged from God. His idol was his own good works, his own following the rules. That actually, he's in the same house as his father, but he's estranged from his father. And see, I think that that's what Paul is trying to address here. That's what Jesus is trying to address, that that we can do all kinds of things that seem religious on the outside. We can come to church and we can serve in this capacity and give here and do this and do that and be estranged from God. And that's, that's kind of scary. We can be in the Father's house and miss relationship with the Father. The question to ask today is, are you you struggling with the older brother syndrome? How do you know, what what are some indications that you might be struggling with the uh, older brother syndrome? Well, 
Are you, you find you're really judgmental about people. You find you're quick to be kind of self-righteous. You find that, that it's easy for you to point your finger at other people. Do you find that when, when there are people that don't look like you or act like you or talk to you or maybe coming from a whole different background, they start coming around church and, and they start worshiping or whatever, you, you find you have a problem with it because they don't quite, they're not quite where you would like them to be? You ever find yourself there? See, the older brother, he couldn't, he couldn't rejoice because he followed the rules too much. Like, this guy's wasted everything. He's done nothing good. But the father doesn't, doesn't argue with him about, he doesn't beat him up about, oh, well, you know, why don't you be grounded for a few months and then we'll, we'll throw you a party. He just, he, he doesn't even listen to his excuses. He just welcomes him in. We have to deal with the idol of our own judgment. Because I think the worst thing that, I think the church in America many times is the older brother. <laughs> if we, I ask myself when I read the Bible, I'm like, God, which one's, when I look at a story, when Jesus is telling a parable, okay, who do I identify with this? Who does the church identify? And I think if we're asking, if we're being honest, I think most of the time the church in America tends to be the older brother pointing out the sins of others. We don't like the idea that God might love some of these people that are really in some bad things. And of course, you can see it taken to the extreme that, you know, you got people, what's this, West, Westboro Baptist group that... You know, they go around and picket funerals. I mean, it's like, oh, come on, really? Like, really? You, you, that's the extreme of it. This morning, we're going to close by, by taking communion together. And I just want us to, to ask the Lord today, God, where, where is there stuff in my heart? I love what the psalmist says. Search me, O Lord, know my heart, try me, know my ways. See if there's any wickedness. Wicked ways in me and lead me in your path. We're just going to ask the Lord today, God, is there any idols? Am I looking to my job for my identity, my purpose? Do I think that's the, the source of my freedom? Am I looking to money? Am I looking to my status? Am I looking to what people think of me? Am I looking to my own good works like Paul did? Or do I realize that my righteousness is in you and what you've done. See, Jesus, Paul brings, he, he, as usual, he just brings it all back to Jesus. It's a simple response that, Jesus, I realize my whole life is in you. It's in what you've done and it's what you continue to do. So we're going to take communion this morning. Probably the way we're going to do this logistically is we're going to start with the, the last row shall be first and y'all can come up and get y'all's and make your way back and then the second to the last and... Uh, when everybody gets close, uh, we'll join together. Yeah, keep, keep your communion. We're going to take it all together, okay? I just want to read Philippians one more time. Uh, 3, 7, 3, 11, before we take communion. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is brought through faith 
in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As we take this bread this morning. Lord, we remember your body that was broken. Lord, that we could be made whole. Lord, as Paul says that, we, uh, that, that, that he may know you in the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. This morning as we take communion, God, we participate in your sufferings, your brokenness, that we could be reconciled to the Father, whether from a place of running away like the prodigal son or reconciled because of our own failure to be in relationship with you, even as the older brother. So Lord, we take this bread this morning. And Lord, we take this cup, the the cup of your new covenant, Lord. We thank you this morning that, Lord, we don't have to bring you a resume of all of our accomplishments that, that, Lord, there's nothing that could bridge the gulf between us and you except the blood of Jesus. We thank you that by this blood you have brought us into your house. You have made us your own family members, God. And though it may insult every bit of good works that we try to do, God, may, though it may be an insult to us sometimes, God, we just let go of all that junk and we just enter in based on who you are, Jesus, what you've done, what you continue to be, do. And like Abraham, who believed you, Lord, when you gave him the promise, we just are crazy enough to just believe in what you've done, Jesus, and who you are. So we take this cup this morning.
Just love.